Well, good morning. Good morning. Woo. Okay, let's try that again. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Well, yes, it is that time of year. How many of y'all love Christmas? Yeah? Well, it wouldn't be Christmas here at Westgate without a little carol of the bells. Can I get an amen there? It's Christmas time. Come on. Shine the light. And 
I want to take a moment and welcome you to Westgate Chapel. If it's your first time visiting here, um, please take the time to go out to the visitor center. We've got just a special or small spe- special Christmas gift for you just to welcome you here. And Merry Christmas! Yes. Um, again, we're just excited to worship with you, with you this, uh, this morning. And if you ha- didn't come to our Christmas Eve service last night, we have one again today at 4 p.m., and also, I want to encourage you if, you, if you have a smartphone, download the Westgate Chapel app. It, that's a great way to tell you how you can get involved, let you know what's going on around here, let you get plugged in serving, all of, all of that awesome stuff. And we got a lot going on here at Westgate, and we're just really excited to get to do life together and worship together. But for now, I want you all to stand back up. Because we're going to greet, it's your favorite time, we're going to greet one another. And do it by telling each other what your favorite Christmas movie is. <laughs> Got to be the favorite.
let's continue worshiping together this morning. Yeah. 
over the balcony, come down the side steps. Kids can come on down, have a seat, and join me up here. You can sit down on the carpet, too. We're all just sitting on the stage. That's cool, too. All right. Join with me down here. All right, come on, have a seat. All right. Okay. Who's excited for Christmas? All right. You're excited. What usually happens on Christmas morning? Maybe open up a gift or two. Yeah. What is a gift that you are excited that hopefully is maybe under a tree tomorrow morning? Titus? Just a gift that'll help you be happy this Christmas? Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. Wings of fire books. I know a few others that like those books too. What are you hoping that's under the tree? Yeah, that we're excited for that too. All the things. One of the greatest, I think the greatest gift at Christmas time is Jesus. Jesus is the greatest gift. And I want to read for us this morning the story, this truth of how Jesus came into the world. Okay. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place. A census is when you count things, like math class. They were counting people. When Quinerius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and who was expecting a child. Do you know who that child is? Jesus. Yeah. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then there were, who was out in the fields? You can just say it. Shepherds, you're right. Shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. That today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and there will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor when the angels then had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
And so they hurried off, they put their fast feet on and they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about his child and all who had heard were amazed at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as it was told to them. Jesus is this greatest gift, a greatest gift because he loves us so much. In a few minutes, when you guys are heading back to your seats, I'm gonna light these candles. And the fourth candle I'm gonna light is the candle of love. Reminds us of God's love. God says he loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world so that we could believe in him and have everlasting life. And something to remind us today of God's and Jesus's great gift is a candy cane. You know what they're for? Yeah. You know, they're really good. You can. They're helping me out this morning. All right, let me, let, me, let me tell everybody. It's like a shepherd's staff because God's word says that Jesus is the good shepherd. We also can flip that over and we see like a J for Jesus. J for Jesus. And the red reminds us of his blood when he dies from the cross for us. And then the white reminds us that he makes us clean. So when you leave, I'll, we'll have this basket here and you can take one of the candy canes and take it back with you. And parents get to decide whether they have it now or later. Or the parents might want to help you eat it as well. And that's okay. Um, so can you do me a favor? Let's put our hands together and we're going to thank God, okay? Let's thank Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for my young friends up here. God, I thank you that... Um, even at a young age, they are proclaiming your truth, that they know what you have done. And God, I pray that Christmas, that they would know that you are the greatest gift. So we thank you for your love. We thank you for coming into this world, Jesus, and choosing to be with us. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, before you come back, go back to your seat and grab a candy cane and head back, okay?
stand as we worship? The first Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night. be seated. I'm going to 
come to our offering here in just a minute, but uh, before we do, again, I want to thank you for your faithfulness and giving throughout the year. God has just blessed us in so many ways, and uh, as we approach the end of the year, I know we get off to Aston, uh, uh, asked often uh, when, uh, when the offices will be open in the week prior in case you would like to bring in uh, kind of an end-of-year offering, and so I just wanted to let you know that in the coming week, our offices are closed. Uh, staff will have the week off after Christmas, but we will have somebody here Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the 26th through the 28th, uh, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, but as well, uh, end of year gifts, uh, some people like to give those. Uh, we will have our service next week, which just happens to be Christmas Eve, the last day of the year. So uh, again, I'm just thankful for your faithfulness and how you have allowed God to provide for this church uh, through your own giving. And so we want to pray and just worship him and move into this time of worship uh, together as we give our tithes and offerings. Would you pray with me? God, thank you again for the gift of your son. And thank you, Father, for uh, the way in which you have so abundantly provided for us in every way possible, most importantly, through the gift of your son. Father, where we were in deep need, separated from you, with no hope, of being able to rectify that broken relationship on our own. You sent your son Jesus into the world. And for that, we are eternally grateful and we worship you. Uh, but as well, Father, we recognize, as we've talked about over the past many weeks, that there are so many ways in which you provide for us on a regular basis. You provide for us hope. You provide for us peace. You provide us with joy. You meet our needs regularly, Father, and it is the reason that when we come to a time of offering, God, that we give back to you. It's in recognition, God, that every great and good, perfect gift that we have comes from you. And Father, our desire is to continue to give back in order that you would take our gifts and use them and multiply them so that more people would know the hope, the peace, and the joy, and the love that comes from you and from your son, Jesus Christ. And so be glorified today, God, as we give our offerings. We love you, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're sitting here on the center aisles, you can grab those offering buckets and begin to pass them across. Our ushers will be helping with that as well. Uh, and let's continue in a spirit of worship for just a moment before we get into the word. Can you believe that Christmas is actually here? Like seriously, I am, I am still a, a little bit bewildered that we are one day away from Christmas, which also means we are seven days away from putting 2023 to rest. Is anybody excited about that? Uh, some people might be. Um, does anybody feel like the year has just flown by? I mean, it feels like it has gone so fast as we are preparing to move into a new year. But here's the deal. With Christmas being so close, tomorrow morning you guys are going to gather, maybe uh, just with a couple of friends, or maybe you'll be gathering with uh, family tomorrow, opening up Christmas presents. But all that means is, since it's happening tomorrow, is that Christmas is here, which means for many of you, you have, have had more than enough time to get your fill of all of the Christmas uh, classics on TV, correct? 
I mean, for some of you, you started well before Thanksgiving with this, and uh, you've been watching those. How many people here have watched at least one Christmas movie this Christmas season, all right? All right, good, a number of you. Well, as I was thinking through it, I'd like to just get an idea for what it is that you guys are watching, uh, things that you are enjoying. How many of you have watched the classic The Grinch, Who Stole Christmas uh, this Christmas? All right, there are a good number of you who have watched The Grinch. Uh, how many of you, now if you really want to get classic, have watched A Christmas Story, the old classic A Christmas Story? Wow, all right, a number of you have watched that, that's pretty good. These next two are actually probably my favorite ones from my childhood. Kids in the room, these were the ones I loved. I'm curious how many people have watched them. The first one is Frosty the Snowman. How many have watched Frosty this Christmas? Okay, a number of you. My all-time favorite, though, is next, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. How many? All right. I don't know why. I love Rudolph in this, but I love the abominable snowman. I don't know why. Just super cool. Super cool. So, all right. How many have watched Home Alone? Any Home Alone people this Christmas? Okay, good. Next, uh, I still am wrestling. I know Adam Burrow will give me a rendition of how this is possible, but I don't know why we call this a Christmas movie, but we do Die Hard. Who's watched Die Hard this Christmas? Okay, there are a handful of you at least willing to admit that. Um, next one, who has watched a Hallmark Christmas movie? Anybody? Okay, there are a few of you. I know every year I give Hallmark a really hard time, uh, but you know I've had a softening in my heart this year because I've realized uh, as a pastor, I actually can sympathize with Hallmark. I know just how hard it is to try to tell the same exact story year after year at Christmas time and to come up with a new and creative way that will engage people. I mean, literally the same story. Think about it. For me, the story I get to tell is there's no room in the inn. Mary and Joseph get put up in a barn. They make the best of it. Jesus is born. The angels appear to the shepherds. Their, their routine lives are infused with excitement. They run and they find Jesus uh, and, and they celebrate his, his birth. Then they run out and they go to tell other people. A few years later, some wise men show up from the east. They come to bring gifts to Jesus, but there's this maniacal king that wants to kill Jesus. But then the wise men catch on. They go a different way. Jesus escapes, and everything ends happily ever after. I mean, it's phenomenal when I tell this story. Think about Hallmark, though. Same story every year. Big city girl from a small town goes home for Christmas. She has a chance encounter with a guy from her past that isn't right for her, but who she has incredible chemistry with. After many encounters where they just happen to be together, they warm up to each other. But right before they make it official, the girl wrongly thinks he's into somebody else. It's going to head back to the big city, but at the last second, someone helps them to see their mistake. The guy chases the girl, they reconcile, and they live happily ever after. It's the same story. Every year, every single year. Now, here's the thing. It can be draining to have to figure out how to tell the same story over and over again. And why is it that we wrestle with trying to figure out new ways to consistently tell the same story, especially the Christmas story? And the reason is, is because it's, e it's easy for people to tire of hearing the same story over and over again. But sometimes, I have found that there are movies that you never grow tired of. For me, one of those is A Charlie Brown Christmas. Anybody here love A Charlie Brown Christmas? It doesn't matter how many times I watch this movie, it never gets old. Charlie Brown, 
wrestles with feeling excited about Christmas. He's tired of the commercialism uh, that crowds out what is special about the season. And yet as he goes through Christmas, he never seems to be able to do anything right. But then he finds his joy in the true meaning of Christmas. Probably my favorite scene is when they sit and they read the Christmas story in this movie about Jesus coming into the world and the joy that that brings even into our brokenness. And it's further illustrated in this movie by the droopy Christmas tree that just looks so sad, a picture of how Charlie Brown feels about himself. But he has this line at the end of the movie where he says, it really isn't that bad of a tree, it just needed a little bit of love. And isn't that true? In our own lives, and our own feelings of brokenness may be insignificant. What we all really need at Christmas is a little bit of love. And that love is given to us in the form of a baby who was born to two parents in Bethlehem and that we celebrate this Christmas season. You know, we've been going through a, a series together during Christmas entitled, Tis the Season. And the idea behind this series has been that while commercially our culture tries to make Christmas look like everything is perfect and everything is put together, the truth is, is that oftentimes in our lives, in our real experience, it's not. There's brokenness that takes place that is hiding underneath the surface. And we may try to put on our best faces, take the best Instagram photos that we can and splash them across social media. What really resides is an air of brokenness. But the beauty of the Christmas story is that Jesus, God's son, enters into our broken world, into our personal broken experience. And he comes to bring things like hope and peace and joy. As we've gone through this Advent series together, we've talked about the beauty of how in the midst of our brokenness, we can still have hope, we can still have peace, and we can still have joy. Not because we somehow achieve them or find them on our own, but they are given to us through the hope that we have in Christ. We went back to the very beginning of the Christmas story where God makes his promise to, Mo, to, to Moses, to Abraham, that one day he would send a savior to the world, that there would be a person who would be a blessing to the entire world. And we saw that God in all of his power was faithful to fulfill every promise, which gives us hope that there is a God in heaven who cares deeply for us. And because of that, we can have peace and also experience joy even amidst our brokenness. And all of those things combined together, we will see this morning as we wrap up this Advent series, help us to understand the depth of God's love for us. This morning, as we dive into the scripture together, what we're going to see is that the Christmas story truly is the greatest love story that has ever been told in this world. And it is a love story about how God deeply loves you. Now, typically when we come to Christmas and Christmas stories, we go to two places, one of two places in scripture. We see the narrative of the Christmas story. In other words, the telling of the angels appearing to the shepherds, Jesus being born, the wise men in two places. Typically in Matthew chapter two, uh, in Matthew, Matthew, chapter, Matthew chapter two and also in Luke chapter two. And we look and we see the telling of those stories and that's where we'll often turn. And it seems like maybe, you know, we think to ourselves, what, did, did, were Mark and John kind of Grinches? Were they kind of ball humbug about Christmas? They didn't tell the Christmas story. But what I want you to actually see 
is that in the Gospel of John, where we're going to look this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me to John chapter 1. While John doesn't give us the narrative story of Christmas, what he actually does is gives us a very deeply profound picture of the impact of Jesus being born as a baby and coming into this world. And that's what I want us to look at together this morning. Because what it will, re- will reveal to us is the depth of God's love for us. If you have your Bibles, look with me at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. We're going to look just at this one verse together this morning and unpack it together. It says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the first thing, if you're following along in your sermon notes, by the way, shortest sermon notes all year long. It should give you hope and peace and joy. Um, But if you're following along your sermon notes, your first fill in here is this, as we walk through the passage, it is these words, the word. You can fill that in. John begins this verse talking about what is taking place the day that Jesus is born, and he says, the word. The word is referenced in terms of Jesus. When you read that, you need to read that he is talking about Jesus. In John chapter one, verse one, at the very beginning of John's gospel, he says these words. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that had ever been made. Now, when we read this, we begin to get a clearer picture that John is talking about Jesus. But why would you use the word, or the Greek word is logos, to refer to Jesus? And here's an idea why most scholars believe that John has used the word to be a representation of Jesus. The word of God in the Old Testament was the communication of God to humanity through the prophets. Anytime you read about the word of God, it was words in the Old Testament that were spoken by the prophets revealing a little bit of God to the people. In other words, in the Old Testament, the prophets were the primary mouthpiece of God to his people. And he would consistently reveal more of himself to them. He would reveal what he was like, what his character was. He would reveal through the prophets what God desired from his people. He would warn them of punishment. He would call them to repentance. He would lead and direct them. But then in the New Testament, what we see is that John sees Jesus as the direct revelation of God of his word, and of his truth to all of mankind. In other words, in the way that we read at Christmas time in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Isaiah, the prophecies, where the prophets talked about a Messiah, a Savior that was going to come, those prophecies were the spoken word of God. But John now identifies that while that spoken word revealed God to the people, he identifies that Jesus himself, who was born into this world, is the direct revelation of God to his people. He sees the words of Jesus and the very person of Jesus as the perfect revelation of his truth. And so when John says the word, 
he is speaking of Jesus and how he reveals God to his people. The next part of this passage, it says, the word became flesh. You can fill this in in your notes. He became flesh. Uh, This is one of the most powerful statements, I believe, in all of Scripture. It tells us that God himself became a man. One thing I've learned, though, about human beings is this, is that we don't like to give things up that are ours. Have you ever noticed this? If you've ever had children, or if you've babysat multiple children at a time, what phrase most commonly comes out of a child's mouth when they are playing with a toy, but another child tries to reach over and take it from them? What do they say? That is mine, right? Some of you are going to experience this to a large degree tomorrow morning, okay? You're going to experience that. When something is going to be taken from us that we don't want to be taken, that we see as ours, when we say, that is mine, give that back. But here's the deal, from the time that we're children, one of the most innate responses in life is that we don't like to give things up that are ours. But the crazy thing is it doesn't change when we become adults. I was actually at the grocery store a couple of weeks ago, and as I was pulling in, there was uh, a car that was in a parking spot, and another car had conspicuously kind of pulled up right behind them, and the, the one person was getting out of their car, ready to walk in, and an argument was ensuing between these two people, and the person inside the car that was parked behind the other one was yelling at them, that was my spot, and I, I don't know what happened before I came up. I'm sure they were both vying for the same thing, but this crazy argument was happening. I'm like, there, people, there are hundreds of other spots sitting in this parking lot. Why are you sitting here arguing over this? Because somehow this individual felt like their spot had been taken from them. And so they were bothered and upset by that. Of course, the person getting out of their car was like, I got here first, it's obviously mine, right? As they argued, what I recognized is that in all of us, whether it's trivial or bigger circumstances, none of us like to truly give up things that we see as ours. Even though when we're willing to part with something that is ours, even when we're willing to do something good for another person, I also find that there are times where there is a limit to what we will give because we wanna make sure that we are taken care of and that we aren't infringed upon. But this is what makes the word becoming flesh so powerful. When we read the Christmas story and we read that Jesus was born into this world, we don't often grasp the intensity of what is exactly happening at that very moment that Jesus entered into the world. What we need to understand is that when Jesus was born, God, who is enthroned in heaven, a perfect place where there is no sin, where there's no evil, where there is no brokenness, God is sitting in heaven, enthroned, and he is being worshiped, the Bible tells us, around that throne day and night. There's a passage in scripture that gives us a very clear picture of that in Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah has a vision of the very throne room of God. And this is what he says as he tries to explain what he is seeing. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood seraphim, or angels, each having six wings. 
With two covering his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one of them called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Can you imagine this vision of what Isaiah has seen? Because you see the moment directly before the birth of Jesus. Jesus, God, was enthroned in the heavens, being worshipped by angels day and night. The God who created all things left it all behind to take up a body of brokenness. The word became flesh. And he took up a body that would feel pain, that was susceptible to sickness, a body that could be broken, and a body that would ultimately decay and die. He tells us that God himself became a man. He took on human flesh, leaving the perfection of heaven, and it gets even better. The next thing he says, you can fill in in your notes, is that the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He came to dwell among us. Now, the Greek word that is used here for dwelling among us is a word that meant to put up a tent. Now, does anybody here like to go camping? Anybody into camping? Anybody like tent camping specifically, right? When I was a kid, I used to love tent camping with my dad, whether it was going out into the mountains or sometimes we would just set up a tent in the backyard and sleep out in the tent uh, in the summertime uh, overnight. It was so much fun. I used to love this. But some of you, when you hear tent camping, you think of a form of cruel medieval torture. You think it's the worst thing possible. Camping for you means chilling in a nice RV with air conditioning and a very comfortable bed to sleep in. Can I get an amen? amen. I knew there's a couple of you. All right. Well, here's the deal. No matter how we see tent, tent camping or putting up a tent, the Greek word here that means to put up a tent has a very different picture than what we might have in our minds. The Greek word, which is translated as to dwell, would have quickly reminded the Jews of the tabernacle in the Old Testament that God asked them to build. The tabernacle was the place in the Old Testament where God met with Israel before the temple was built. And John, as he uses these words, says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What would have been clearly communicated to everyone who was listening was that God had chosen to dwell among his people now in an even more personal way than he had in past times, in the Old Testament times. And the significance of this is actually captured by the writer of Hebrews. I want you to think about what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us is that the God of the universe subjected himself to the very weaknesses and temptations that we face. We have a God who gets it. We have a God who gets us because the word became flesh 
and he dwelt among us. He understands our brokenness. He understands our pain. He understands our sorrow and our grief. He understands betrayal. He understands. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And the incredible beauty that tells us of the depth of God's love for us is found in the next words that John speaks. The word became flesh and he has dwelt among us. And the next fill in, and we have seen his glory. Now, to understand what it means when John is saying that we have seen his glory, I want you to think about Moses in the Old Testament standing on Mount Sinai. When Moses stood on Mount Sinai, he literally begged God to show him his glory. And the Lord replied to Moses in this way. He said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. I want you to think about that. Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God's response is, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. As we understand it then, God's glory is supremely his goodness. And for when Moses then went and stood out on Mount Sinai and the Lord came down in chapter 34 in a cloud and revealed himself to him, God proclaims these words to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You see, the glory God revealed was his goodness, and his goodness is defined by his compassion. It's defined by his grace, how he is a God that is slow to anger, abounding in love and abounding in faithfulness, how he maintains his love to thousands throughout the generations, how he forgives our wickedness, he forgives our rebellion and our sin against him. So what we have here is John painting a very clear picture for us that the goodness of God is his compassion and grace, his slowness to anger, his forgiveness of wickedness, rebellion, and sin, and his unending love, and they are now fully embodied in the very person of Jesus Christ. God, who became a man, was born into a poor family of no notoriety, who is able to sympathize and understand all of our weaknesses because he came to us, experiencing our brokenness. He ultimately came to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin so that we could be restored to God. And in this telling that John gives us, he fully embodies the very grace, the very compassion, and the love of God. 
What does John tell us in these few short words? He gives us the very deep, profound meaning that we see in the book of Matthew and also in the book of Luke where the narrative of the Christmas story is played out. That when Jesus came into the world, he made known to us the very love of God. Fill that in. Jesus has made known to us the love of God. The story of Christmas is the greatest love story that has been ever told. And because of this, the writer of Hebrews finishes what he was saying and says this, because this is true, because we have a God that loves us so much, we can then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. As you gather together this Christmas season, consider that same old story that you hear year after year, time and time again. But as you hear it, remember that it's not just a story. Remember that it is the very truth of God that is being conveyed to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Be reminded that what you are reading is the greatest love story that has ever been told. It is a love story of God's love for you. And it is a story that should never grow old in our hearts, but that should cause us to fall more deeply in love with God for how he has loved us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving us such an incredible story, such an incredible account of all that you have done. I thank you for the words of John and how in this one verse, in the beginning of his gospel, he gives us a very clear picture of the depth of what you did when you sent your son Jesus into this world. I thank you, God, that though we have been lost in our sin and separated from you because of our rebellion against you, that you would love us so much that you yourself would leave the perfection of heaven for you are worshiped day and night by your angels. You would come to this earth in the form of a man, in the form of your very creation, and even allow yourself to be put to death at the hands of your creation, all so that we could be reconciled to you and spend eternity with you in heaven. Father, was when we think about that truth and we understand it, the Christmas story takes on a whole new meaning. And God, I pray that you would use it even this day, tomorrow, the days and weeks and months and years to come. Be a story that never grows old, but that truly transforms our lives every time we think of it. I would recognize that this morning there are probably some here who have never made the decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And as you have heard the meaning behind the Christmas story this morning and the fact that no matter what you've done, how far you have run from God, what sin you have committed, what sin you continue to commit, there is a God in heaven who deeply loves you so much that he sent his son into this world to die in your place, to pay your penalty so that you could be restored to him. And I want to invite you this morning, if God is moving in your heart, you've never made that decision to put your faith in him, I want you to have that opportunity to do so this morning. 
if that's something that is on your heart, that you want to yield and surrender your heart to God, I would invite you in the quietness of where you're sitting, in your own heart, just simply to pray this prayer. There is nothing magical about it. Words don't, don't change anything. But they're a prayer of commitment, a prayer of your faith. Say, God, I yield and surrender my life to you. So pray these words if that's your desire this morning. Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world. I confess to you that I am a sinner. I confess to you that I sin against you. But I thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for my sin, so that I could be restored in a relationship to you literally be considered your own child. God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I ask that you would come into my life and I surrender my heart and my life to you. I choose today to follow you. And I give you all thanks and all praise and all glory for what you are beginning to do in my heart and my life. prayed that prayer this morning, I would love the opportunity to talk with you and to pray with you, to encourage you as you continue in this journey of faith and following God. And I would invite you as our service closes today to grab a connection card in the pew in front of you. Just write your name, an email address, and the words, I chose to follow Jesus. And you can drop it in one of the huge buckets at the back of the room as you walk out today. And I promise you're not going to get inundated. I would just love that opportunity to connect with you, encourage you on this journey as you follow Jesus. But God, I pray for each individual that may have prayed that prayer this morning, that you, Lord, would begin a new work in their heart and their life as they choose to follow you, and that they would be overwhelmed by the depth of your love for them. And for all of us, Father, that have made that decision already, Lord, would you help us as we go from this place to live every single day in light of that love that has been given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
church family, as we close our service this morning, if you were not able to join us last night for our first Christmas Eve service, we would love to ask you to join us uh, this afternoon at 4 p.m. Uh, invite your friends, invite your family to come. We have a great time of reflection and worship that is planned and uh, would love for you to join us. So please remember 4 p.m. this afternoon. It'll also be a live streamed service. And then uh, finally, as we close our service today as well, if you would like prayer this morning, we have Paul and Diana Schwer who are here, also uh, Barbara McKay. Uh, McRae is up here uh, as well with Wayne, and they would love the opportunity to pray with you today if there are any needs that you have. And as you go out from here today, I just want to give you this encouragement. Go out this week and experiencing the fullness of the depth of God's love for you as you reflect on this Christmas story personally and as you gather together with your families. But remember that it is a message that must be shared. And so go out and share that same love with others in the way that you live and in the words that you speak. God bless you and have a very Merry Christmas.